0: That is my theme song, like it or not. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the show. I don't know if I should say this every time. Welcome to Searching for Political Identity. I am. Blah, 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 blah. It is, well, it is August twenty eighth, twenty twenty one. A lot to talk about. If you're interested in whatever stuff I'm going to be saying you know how do you dis- a thought that just occurred to me as I was hitting record is how do you distinguish yourself in today's world doing a podcast i put out a tweet a couple of days ago and i'm going to talk about twitter in a in a few minutes but I put out a tweet that said i'm glad i started a podcast before it was having one is a requirement of us citizenship okay terrible joke But highlighting the fact that almost everyone and their mother has a podcast and late to the party, but they're not, I don't know, I guess who cares about podcasts? Is anyone listening? All right. So that was my first thought logging on today. With that out of the way, let me get to my agenda. Actually, before I even do that, let me tell you a funny story. So, just a few minutes ago, before I was getting ready to log on and do this episode, I checked my Apple. I was just looking at my podcast cover art, as you tend to do if you're doing one of these things. And I was curious if I have any more reviews since I had been asking people, you know, hey, please leave me a review. And I saw that I did. I had one more review. I had 13 reviews, and my and the rating had bumped up a little bit. I was like, "Oh, it was a good review." And I just saw it for the first second, and I said, "Oh, these words look good. This looks like a positive rev- review. I can't wait to read this. So I read it, and actually let me pull it up here. Let me pull it up here. You can under- you'll understand why I was so thrilled. You can feel Brian Escal's excitement about our government. Today's issues and the law, as you delve into his new podcast, a great way to educate yourself. I recommend highly. And the title to the tweet uh, or the review is well-paced and interesting. Give it a listen. So this is, this has got me excited. I am thrilled. You know, you feed off this stuff, and I then see the author of the review is my mother. And my heart sunk. And I was like, mother fuck. Oh, it was so funny. I freaking died. Oh, thank you, mom. <laughs> that was a fake laugh. I was laughing earnestly before, though, about it. All right. I wanted to mention that. thought that was funny. Had an interesting experience yesterday, Friday morning. I decided to do something I never do, which is buy a homeless man coffee and a breakfast at Starbucks. I saw him sitting outside the Starbucks and I was just having a good morning and something just compelled me to ask him if he wanted something. And he was like, yeah, cinnamon roll and a coffee. I was like, all right, done. I don't know what came over me, but I did it and it felt good, I think. And when I came back to him, I said, hey, they didn't have a cinnamon roll, but here's a coffee cake. He said, oh, even better. He goes, you know, you got a deep voice. Sounds like mine Mine did when I used to smoke a lot. And I just said, thank you. uh, Thank you. Thank you. It was interesting. So that happened. Felt like telling you about that. Really, the only other things on my agenda are To talk about Twitter and the polls that I've been taking and the experience that I've been having on Twitter so far, and to discuss this class, one of the three classes that I'm taking right now. The semester just started up in law school. This is my last year. So, this is my second to last semester. So, the semester just started. One of the classes, well, they're all really, really interesting, but the one that I told some of my people on Twitter, that I would talk about is called Jurisprudence, and it's going to be terrific. It already is. The professor's amazing. Um, he wrote these two textbooks that we're studying. And here's, I'll just read real quick a bit from his book. Outsider oriented criticisms of the Supreme Court have been vis- vigorously advanced, most especially beginning in the 1980s. These criticisms fly under various outsider flags, such as critical race theory, critical feminist theory, black crit theory, Asian crit theory, queer crit theory. In this book, I attempt to transform these theories of legal criticism into a process of judicial decision-making, which I call critical process. All right, so first of all, let me quote this author. This is the book is called Diversity Judgments and it's by Professor Roy Brooks B R O O K S Diversity Judgments And this class Jurisprudence as you might as you might have a hint of and as professor explains is all about the reasoning of the judges okay so it's a B and C. That's the process a judge makes. Let me take a sip of water. A. Point A is the legal issue that the lawyers frame up for the argument for the judge. The lawyers frame it up. They present the case to the judge and say, "This is how we see it. The, this is the controlling legal issue of the case." And the judge can either accept that. Well, he has to choose one side's argument. So, the judge ultimately decides what the issue is. First of all, that's point A. Then you go to point B, which is what's the rationale, what's the thinking, the logic of the decision that the judge is ultimately going to land on, which is point C, which is the holding of the case, the the rule of law that comes out of any given case because the the judge is taking legal principles applying the facts to them and then deciding what the controlling legal issue is and then coming out with a judgment which is point C so point A is the issue point C is the holding the resolution of the case but point B is the why how and why so this class jurisprudence is a study of point B and there's so many methods of how a judge will will do this you hear Justice Scalia was famous. Justice Gorsuch is known to be supposedly a fan of his. Certainly, Amy Coney Barrett, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, seemed to be in the Scalia camp of what is known as textualism. And I'm going to get ahead of myself. Look, I haven't even done that assigned reading yet. That's due for next week. But this is the class I'm taking. It's very exciting. And so, this professor is definitely, appears to me to be, and we're just starting on the liberal side in the sense that he wants us to challenge the old way of how the Supreme Court justices do their thinking. He argues that the outsiders are not included in that process, even today. So anyway, it's gonna be a really interesting class, a lot of hot issues to be discussed, a lot of hot issues. But I have an interesting story that I wanted to tell you from class. It was our second class. This one meets on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, And today it's Saturday, so I want to tell you a story that happened on Thursday. So to tell you that story, let me just tell you what we were talking about in class. We were given a couple quotes. One by this author named Arthur Schlesinger, who says, For three centuries, the national, social, and economic political life had been dominated by one outstanding influence, an abundance of unoccupied and fertile land. The free land to the West had afforded opportunities for the energetic and an outlet for the discontented. It had absorbed millions of immigrants from Europe and had by its plentiful eastward shipment of agricultural products kept the cost of living low. With the end of an era of free land, also the opportunities for the less fortunate to escape from intolerable conditions became more limited. There was evidences of the development of class consciousness and a tightening of the lines of battle in conflict between capital and labor. Many thoughtful Americans, in fact, blamed organized money. The often stated charge was America, in making her fortune, was in peril of losing her soul. That was written in 1931, talking about an earlier time in America. And then we were also told a little bit about the age of Andrew Jackson, whereas the famous author Alexander de Tocqueville writes. The feverish pursuit of wealth is is how he described the age of Andrew Jackson, Americans were feverishly pursuing wealth. And the feeling in America was characterized, and these are my professor's words in a book called Structures of Judicial Decision-Making from Legal Formalism to Critical Theory by Roy L. Brooks. So professor is writing here that Andrew uh, Alex Alexis de Tocqueville is talking about the condition in America at the time as being marked by a feverish pursuit of wealth and that uh, general sense in the country that trade and commerce should be democratized so that the common man could compete across the board. And then my professor goes to quote Andrew Jackson. Here's the quote. It is to be regretted that the rich and powerful too often bend the acts of government To their selfish purposes. Distinctions in society will always exist under every just government. Equality of talents, of education, or of wealth cannot be reproduced by human institutions. But when the laws undertake to add to these natural and just advantages, artificial distinctions to make the richer the rich richer and the potent more powerful, the humble members of society, the farmers, the mechanics and laborers have a right to complain of the injustice of their government. Let me read that again. We'll break it down. He's saying it sucks that the rich and powerful all too often bend the government to fulfill their selfish purposes. He's saying differences in society will always exist in a just society. There's not going to be you know, everyone's great at basketball. Everyone's great at painting. Everyone's great at speaking. Everyone's great at thinking. Everyone's great at math. It's never going to be equal like that. But he's saying, and wealth, and not everyone's going to have a job that makes $150,000 a year. Not going to happen in a just society, according to Andrew Jackson. But when the laws, he says, undertake to add to these natural and just advantages, artificial distinctions to make the rich richer and potent more powerful, the humble, mem- humble members of society have a right to complain about the injustices of their government. So I'm 31 years old. I'll be 32 in two months. I'm in law school. I'm with a bunch of students. There's 28 students in the class. And I'm on the older side. I might be the oldest student in the class. Professor reads us that quote, and he says, who here agrees with that quote? And I instantly raise my hand instinctively without question. So nobody else raised their hand. Not one other student. And it was so strange to me. And he goes, really? And I go, yeah. He goes, are you still going to think that it was a good quote? when we get to the part about what he says about Native Americans. And in my head, I'm like, well, we didn't get to that part yet. That wasn't assigned yet. But what I said in response to his question was, I can separate the message from the messenger. I'm looking at these words, and it makes total sense to me, and I'm in agreement with it. We don't want laws. We won't accept laws that add artificial distinctions, distortions onto society that favor the rich and powerful. That's bullshit. And we have a lot of those in place today, frankly. And so I said, wow, that sounds like Bernie Sanders could have been making this statement. So I said, yeah, I agree with this. Not one hand went up. And I said, I can distinguish the message from the messenger. I know Andrew Jackson is a historically bad figure. But this quote, you asked us about this quote. And so it makes me think about Trump. And can you see where I'm going with this? I know Trump is a bad figure. And he will be historically a bad figure. But if you can separate the message from the messenger, the question then is, does his message have anything of value? Anything at all? And I would say absolutely yes. And I do not dismiss that value. And I think that's what—that's well, certainly what animates his base. And I want to understand that. I think I kind of do understand it. And that's why I never dismissed his presence as a political figure as hateful and as silly and immature and embarrassing as his behavior was at times, many times, I always separated the message from the messenger. And I think people who don't do that, I think people who say, oh, he's a scumbag, screw his whatever he has to say or think, and screw whatever his supporters have to say or think. I think that is a big mistake to make. I think it's to me, to be honest with you, it's my, I guess it's just my natural disposition to not think that way. My natural disposition is to say, oh, wow, isn't that interesting? All these people with this different view, how 74 million votes, or no, Biden got 74, right? Trump got like 68 or something. However many, almost 70 million people, whatever it was, voted for Trump. And people are like freaked out by that. It's like, no, guys, there's something in the message. And you, I think, are getting mystified by the messenger and offended, understandably and rightfully, but you're missing the message. And I was talking to someone on Twitter and they had a really interesting observation on in relation to that thought, in relation to that thought, I should say. This person said, I think Trump doesn't want people to separate the message from the messenger because he, of course, wants to be the center of attention, And that's his primary skill. And I said, wow, I agree with you. He, and and this person also said, that this dynamic that Trump has set up is the reason he was so successful politically, and the reason for his demise politically. And I couldn't agree more. Trump's charisma, he was the message. But, nonetheless, so that's why it's really hard for people to separate the message from the messenger. But if you do, I think you will find that there are some things of value, such as, you know, talk about America first. And by the way, don't assume it's a Nazi reference. If you cannot assume it's a Nazi reference for a second, you go, wait a minute, talking about bringing corporations back and how the political class in recent history sold out our country, you know, to corporations and this and that and NAFTA. And that's what you hear and i kind of believe that so there's something to the america first initiative you know trump governed as a constitutional conservative I'm not taking your guns um and well i won't comment on his handling of the pandemic but because i'm not really prepared to do that but i'll just say let's just say he he went with a rather laissez faire approach to the detriment of many people that died arguably but he 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 had his beliefs he had his principles i think and anyway i've made my point i think on that so you know look if you're listening to my podcast you know what i'm trying to do is analyze the major issues of our day and figure out what i believe in and I gotta analyze the other side if I'm gonna do this. That's the whole point. Or else this show would be called Liberal Brian. And it's not. So, I have to separate the message and, you know, that's what I'm doing. So Twitter is amazing. I've been on there for about three weeks. Been active for about three weeks and I have met some really nice people. It's bizarre how much you end up enjoying the friendships that you make on Twitter. A lot of interesting folks and nice people. And it's really cool. It's powerful, very powerful. I'm really taken aback by the power of Twitter. It kind of reminds me of the ocean. I actually went surfing yesterday for the first time in forever probably my third or fourth time, probably my third time surfing, caught my first wave. I actually caught a couple, which was crazy. And it was so fun and it was so peaceful. And I'd like to do it again. Very humbling. And I was further out in the ocean than I've ever been. And it was a little scary, but God. So Twitter kind of reminds me of the ocean. It's so vast. And you realize how deep it is and the potential power of it. And that's why I... I'm afraid of the ocean. I look at the ocean, I'm, I'm happy to look at it, but the thought of going, it's scary to me. I do it, I go in, but it's freaky, man, to me. So, enjoying Twitter. One of the things I'm doing, well, I'm just promoting myself, I'm trying to, which is a strange phenomenon for me. Imagine being this shy, truly insecure, depressed, individual, anyone who knows me can will vouch for that, to being spurred by the pandemic to just finally do it and get myself out there now that I've started. Oh my gosh, I'm Mr. Mr. Self-Promo. Hm. So, But loving Twitter, posting things, trying to create a voice, create an identity. And I think so far, so good. But it's a challenge, and it's an interesting challenge, and I like it. So what I think I'll do is just share with you some of the polls that I did on Twitter and tell you what the results are, because I really have nothing else to say, and I need to get studying. And what I intend to do is get really caught up with my schoolwork this weekend so that next weekend... Well, first of all, I hope to have a guest. I hope to always have guests. So I'm hoping that I'm going to have a phenomenal guest next weekend and not have to do a solo episode. But if I do have to do a solo, I'm going to make sure that I'm all caught up so I can give it proper attention and you know actually address an issue maybe um, and, and, and share some thoughts on it. Maybe start doing some of the work that I set out to do with this podcast instead of kind of just sharing thoughts which is what I'm doing now. So I'll get to the polls on Twitter. All right, let's do it. I said Trump is politically dead, right? I just asked that question. And 50 people voted. What do you think the answer was? Well, 62% said that's correct, he's dead politically. And the other 38% said, no, he's not politically dead. That was kind of cool. Let me see another one. That was stupid. I'll skip that one. Here's a good one. I said, should America be a direct democracy? Direct democracy being truly vote by popular vote. Direct democracy is like what you hear about in ancient Greece. And that would just be like, Hey, should we have, should guns be illegal or should guns be legal? And everyone would just literally vote, one person a vote, and then that would be the law. That would be a direct democracy. And we wouldn't even have a legislature in that situation probably because the population as a whole would be the legislature. So that's direct democracy. So I said, should America be a direct democracy? 30 people voted. And what do you guys think? Did the majority of the 30 people that voted think America should be a direct democracy? 53% said yes, we should be a direct democracy. So obviously this is a stupid ass, unscientific, bullshit set of data that you should completely flush down the toilet. But I thought that was interesting. Let me see another one. So any other good ones? Mm. Okay. I said, do you think the First Amendment should apply to social media platforms? Which are, of course, private companies, as we all know. 42% said yes. Oh my God, only seven people voted. 42% said yes, the First Amendment should apply to social media platforms. Wow. And then 28.6, there was a split. 28.6 said no, it shouldn't. And the other 28.6 said, I don't understand the question, which I gave as an option. Hmm. I asked people, this one is not political. I said, do you prefer audio podcasts or podcasts that have both audio and video? And 21 people voted. 61% said they prefer video and audio. And, uh. 38% 38% said they prefer audio only, so I guess we got to do video. Who's we? I, I don't know. Hmm. Huh, I just got an inbox from someone, hi. Do you need anything in graphics? A graphic artist Uh, on Twitter? Hmm, logo, banner, thumbnail, vector art, yeah. Wow, video editing, headers are much more. Let me see, is that a picture of Kristen Stewart? That's Kristen Stewart. Her name is G F X hyphen Sira S I R A. Well, I don't know how to feel about people that have pictures of celebrities or people that are not themselves on Twitter. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Is that is that weird? Wait, why does her? No, what is wrong with this profile? Something is strange. Hmm. Anyway, so I think the point of this rambling, borderline nonsensical episode is that I am in the process of learning, and I'm just not ready to commit to one side. On Twitter, it's very political, and you can commit to the resistance, and you'll gain a lot of followers just by putting the word resistance in in your bio. Same as if you say, vote blue, or Biden-Harris, or I stand with Biden, or no MAGA. Conversely, you can be a patriot. You can be a MAGA. And look, I voted for Joe Biden. I think he's doing a fine job. But I just can't put any of those things in my profile because, first of all, it wouldn't make sense, considering the way that I've framed my podcast and secondly because this is a genuine framing this search for political identity is real yes i grew up in a liberal household yes i've always voted democrat to date and i have liberal social views but when it comes to questions of economics of how to bring people out of poverty because that is my big thing is like I'm very fortunate and I want to figure out what the best way to help people is and then I want to advocate for that because I feel a little guilty if I can be honest with you about how good I have it in life I'm not the most wealthy person in the world by any Any means, but I'm comfortable. My family's comfortable. I have fortunate things in my life, fortunate dynamics where I'm going to be okay. And I work, right? So I'm not worried about myself. I just want to make sure that we live in a country where the best outcome is happening. For people who are poor, because I feel guilty about not being poor. So I want to help poor people. So the question in my mind, the search for political identity is is it really as simple as Democrats are good and Republicans are bad? Republicans don't care about poor people. All they do is advocate for corporations' rights and squish the little guy. And Democrats. We stick up for the little guy, workers' rights, increased labor, minimum wage, supporting labor rights, right? It's that simple, right? Is it? I don't know, and that's what I intend to find out. And when I find out, I'm going to fight hard for what I believe in. But is it really the case that the Republican policies don't help lift people out of poverty? Is it, I need to confirm that. And I don't mean to sound like a freaking moron living under a rock thinking trickle down economic works. And so maybe it is stupid. Maybe it's clear as day that you should support increased minimum wage. Maybe it's clear as day. But I got to do a little more research before I go all in and start putting hashtag resistance in my bio. I'm not ready. And so maybe I'll get there. Maybe. Not yet. So that's the show for this week. Thanks for sticking around. If you made it through this episode, you're really a fan at this point. And to that, I say thank you so much. It's, like I said, pretty cool to connect with people, and especially on Twitter, making a lot of connections. And it's a very cool thing. So thank you, guys. Have a great week. And I'll see you next time. Later.